This is the Master Marketer Show, powered by Proofpoint Marketing. Each week, we explore the mindsets, skill sets, and tool sets the top B2B marketers use to drive results. Gain actionable insights, one masterful, revenue-generating success story at a time. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Master Marketer Show. Today, I've got Mark Raffan with, here with me, the founder of both Content Callout and Negotiations Ninja. And we're going to be taking a slightly different spin on marketing today, if you will. We're going to be talking about how to use negotiations concepts to improve your marketing. So, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So, um, let's just dive right in you know, um, kind of maybe set the stage for you as well. And for our listeners, like I think a lot of marketers have read, you know, Chris Voss's book on negotiation. And I, I'm curious to maybe start there a bit in terms of what are your thoughts on it? Uh, and then maybe we can kind of go from there. I like it very much. I, I think Chris is a great guy. He's been on my show two or three times and we agree on a lot of things. There's a couple of things that philosophically we disagree on, mainly because of our backgrounds. Um, he's sort of from the hostage negotiation perspective world. I'm from the business negotiation perspective world. So we, we come at it, we come at the same problem a little bit of a different way, but overall we're aligned on 99, 98% of the things that he talks about. So I'd, I'd love to, um dive into that maybe like what are the things that you disagree on based on your background i think that'd be good for everybody to know so the 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 title for example never split the difference which is basically another way of saying like never compromise makes a ton of sense from a hostage negotiation perspective right you you know if someone's holding 10 people hostage you can't say kill six and i'll have four that's not that's not going to work in a hostage negotiation situation. But in a complex business negotiation, sometimes you have to make compromises on parts of the deal in order to make the overall deal work. So you may, for like the best example is limitations of liability. Generally speaking, in a limitation of liability discussion between two large organizations, where both of them need something from the counterparty, neither of them walks away from a limitation of liability discussion feeling good both parties kind of walk away going this is a bit more risk than i wanted to take on in this contract but in order to get the overall deal to work we're willing to make the compromise on the limitation of liability to take on a little bit more risk in order to make the big deal work so that's that's probably our biggest disagreement and i can see totally from his perspective why that may not necessarily work from his worldview right that just doesn't apply but in like a complex business deal, sometimes you, you have to take a little bit of pain to get a lot of pleasure. Most people wouldn't think that there's a, 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 any commonalities or there are any commonalities between negotiations and marketing. And you were just starting to tell us, well, you know, it's really a lot of the same principles around persuasion and influence and really more of a one to many versus a one to one. I will let you take it from there. That's you're entirely right. So in negotiation what we're trying to do is we're trying to influence and persuade someone to make a decision um, for an agreement or a contract or do something that we want them to do 
right? We're trying to get someone to move in a certain direction, to make a decision on something. In much the same way in marketing, we're trying to do the same thing, but we're trying to do it in scale, right? So we're trying to get someone more likely to move in a certain direction, more likely to make a certain decision. We use many of the same principles and practices. If you look at any of the work of Daniel Kahneman or uh, Robert Cialdini or any of these sort of godfathers of persuasion and influence, um, we use the same things in negotiations. A perfect example is social proof, right? So on a website, you would look at a website and go, okay, here's some testimonials from a few different companies. Here's some logos of companies that I recognize. In negotiation, we may do exactly the same thing in a business deal where we say, we've done a similar deal with XYZ companies and therefore you can trust us. So the same principles of influence, the same principles of persuasion are often being used between both. How you show those are different, but the principles are the same. So you may show authority, for example, different than in marketing than you would in negotiation. And a lot of marketing helps the negotiator, whomever is negotiating that deal, the salesperson or whatever, have the credibility that they need to be able to close that deal and to be able to move that conversation forward. The principles are the same. How it's delivered is just different. So I, I want to talk about some of the... Uh the delivery differences. But before we jump into that, one of the things that comes to mind, especially since we're talking mindsets at this point, is I think a lot of people who read Kahneman and Cialdini and Chris Voss's book, I often see they, they take away the wrong things in terms of they kind of take away, like, you know, for them, persuasion is why well, my job is to convince you that this is right for you kind of thing, sort of like force feeding stuff where. Based on what you're describing, and I, I'm sort of putting words in your mouth to a certain extent, but I don't think that that's what you believe. So maybe kind of if you can expound a little bit on the mindset that somebody needs to have around persuasion and influence to, to make this work for them. Yeah, I mean, look, like, like anything, all of these powers can be used for good or used for evil. And I think if you, a lot of it starts with intent. So if you can um, have the right intention going into a negotiation conversation, which is, hey, I'm going to try and build and drive value between both of our organizations, or in a marketing conversation, the same thing, I'm going to try and build and deliver value to, at scale to my potential customers, that's, that's where I think a lot of it really changes. Where it becomes sort of like gross and slimy is where the intent is to manipulate and the intent may not be to drive value. The intent is just to take money without the provision of value. And so that's, that's where it can get a little bit dicey. Um, but I think overall, um, the, the, the principles are essentially the same. Yeah, no, I, th I think well to maybe re-emphasize uh, what you just said. I think where I see oftentimes people going wrong is it's not manipulation. Like persuasion and influence are not manipulation. It's not one and the same. And oftentimes that's how people like that's where you see like the gimmicky marketing, you know, and, and things like that, and the bait and switch, and the 
clickbait and the, all that kind of fun stuff. Yeah, and, and let's be clear, persuasion and influence can be used to manipulate, uh, but I think it, it all begins with intention. Uh, and I, it, it depending on who is doing it may also dictate how you are how you are viewing what's being said to you like there are master con men for example that come off as super genuine and super sincere um, and then only later when you've lost all your money do you realize hey this person was just in it to take everything from me and so i think it's it, it's very sometimes very hard to distinguish between the two the ultimate i think driving difference is value provision so as long as there's value provision and value creation then it, it makes a ton of sense so let's maybe dive into this a little bit deeper in terms of what are like how does somebody use some some of these core principles of negotiation in their marketing i mean you mentioned one specifically on social proof but let's maybe dive into a few others yeah so i mean i could give you the standard you know cialdini's six principles of influence for example but let's try and stay away from that maybe let's harken back to something earlier um None of these ideas that we use in marketing or negotiation or sales, anything that requires influence or persuasion is anything new. This has been done for thousands and thousands of years. Aristotle came up with it when he wrote rhetoric, for example, right? Like he said, in order to make something persuasive, you have to have logic, logos. You have to have pathos, which is the emotional appeal of something. You have to have ethos, which is your ethical credibility. And you have to have kairos, which is timing. So it, it's not like this is any new stuff. If you if you focus on those fundamentals of, hey, there's got to be a logical reason why someone should make a de decision. And then there has to be an emotional decision as well, because very few people make decisions based purely on logic. So how do we drive someone's emotions to help make help them make an emotional decision with that logical decision? Because we know that emotions are more powerful. And then... How do we show that we have the credibility to be able to carry that argument, to say this is a valid argument, this is a good decision, therefore you should make that decision? And then when is the right time to be able to do that? Um, timing is a little bit more challenging because you may not necessarily know when someone's right time is until you have a conversation with them or you understand their, their buying cycle. Um, and understand when decisions might be made within that organization, which is a particular challenge for a lot of marketing people. So the marketing people can often deal with the first three parts of that conversation, right? They can deal with the logic, they can deal with the emotion, they can deal with the credibility, but then it's incumbent upon the salesperson to basically do the slam dunk on the timing, right? Did we get the timing right and can we deliver at the end? So I, I think that's where a lot of the foundation needs to start. First thinking very, very carefully about logic. Why should my target buyer, this target persona make this decision? That's at scale. And then on the individual basis, you're dealing with that person. What is the logical reason this CFO should make this decision or this CMO should make this decision? Then emotionally, why? Like what's it, what's in it for them? What's the emotional appeal that they're actually trying to get to? 
and then obviously credibility comes down to your authority and social proof and all of those things that Cialdini spoke about when it came to influence, like how you like me, what kind of relationship we have. Um, do we have consensus and social proof? Do you like all of that kind of stuff still matters? Definitely. I, I like what you said around timing. And it's, it's interesting because I think you see a lot of marketers kind of, I would say, falling into the trap of trying to time the market, if you will. Right. Yeah, Which, I mean, so anybody hard. on the finance side says, don't try to time the market. That's literally impossible. It's because, the same thing in marketing, it's right? True. Like you can't do that. Like how, how do you know when's the right <clears throat> time for the customer to take mm -hmm. action? You don't know, which is why you always have to be on, right? That that's why awareness marketing and brand marketing is so so important because if they have no idea who you are, you're not even a part of the conversation, right? Like you you don't even come up in de deliberating between who's going to do this and who's not going to do this. So anyone who says brand isn't important and you need performance marketing before you need brand, I think you're insane. Like there's no, there's no way your performance marketing is going to hit the right timing every single time. You have to have brand. Yeah, and I mean the argument that I would even make is that the way – performance marketing is done and the way performance is measured needs to change to align more to, you know, demand and, and brand rather than, you know, did I get the right contact at the right time kind of thing? Because right. that's, that's a, in my mind, at least a fool's errand. That's just, it's like the equivalent again, like of trying to time the market and from a financial perspective. I agree. I agree. I'm not saying you shouldn't have demand and I'm marketing. I'm not saying you shouldn't have performance marketing. Those are important. Don't get me wrong. But oftentimes people make it a either or conversation yep. instead of a, you know, this plus this conversation, yep. which is crazy. Like you can't make it an either or conversation. So let's, let's maybe flip it around a bit and talk about what are some of the biggest negotiation pitfalls you see marketers falling into? Lack of preparation and assumptions. In, in negotiation, as in marketing, we fail to prepare because we are reactive to the needs of, um, let's just say, financial targets. So we might, we might say, hey, we have to react to this change in the marketplace instead of responding to what may end up happening as a result of our preparation. Um, and that reactionary approach is often very, very, very dangerous. Instead of like actually coming up with an idea, testing the idea, running the idea and seeing if the idea works, we react to every news story or every thing that comes up and we make crazy assumptions that, you know, the market is responding this way and therefore we should do this. Uh, that, that may be true in some circumstances, but the vast majority of the time, whenever we make reactionary responses, it's it puts us into a very costly position because we end up making costly decisions based on assumptions. And negotiation is the same. In negotiation, the the worst thing you can do is make an assumption. Now, let me let me flavor that a little bit better. The worst thing you can do is make an assumption and not verify whether or not that assumption is true. So it's okay to make assumptions as long as 
you also put in the work to verify, was my guess correct? Was my assumption correct? And if it wasn't correct, let's stop doing that. That's dumb. Move things in a different direction. But so many people make assumptions and then go forward with those assumptions without even verifying it. Like sometimes in negotiations, people will assume what the needs and wants of the counterparty are and then make a negotiation plan based on those needs and wants without first checking whether or not their assumptions of those needs and wants are in fact correct. And it's okay to assume the needs and wants of the counterparty, but you do actually have to ask them at some point, what are your needs and wants? So you, you have to verify in, in much the same way in marketing, if we don't do research, right? We, we assume the persona is acts a certain way or does a certain thing or responds a certain way without actually talking to those people, that's crazy. So it's okay to make assumptions, but then you've got to vet that, right? You've got to verify, is this going to work? So if we, if we talk skill sets that somebody needs to have, customer research is top of the list. Research and, and, and just your ability to ask good questions and make sure they're not leading questions. Like a lot of questions we ask in surveys with marketing are really leading questions. Um, you know, we might say something like, how good was your experience? You're, you're presupposing the experience was good. So now we're rating it on a scale of good to amazing instead of how was your experience? And then giving them like terrible, okay, and good as responses. In the same way in negotiation, if we lead the counterparty with a specific response, we're not getting accurate data to give us information about how we need to move the conversation. So not asking leading questions is really important to both parts of this business. So let's maybe talk about your process a bit in terms of um, what does somebody need to do uh, to as much as possible avoid making the wrong assumptions? Ask good questions. And, and do as much research. There are always going to be unknowns. And that's, un that's an unfortunate reality that we have to deal with in marketing and negotiation. You, there are some things that may never be known. In fact, there are some things that the customer doesn't even know about what they, you, when we say, you know, we know, does the customer know what they need and want? Maybe they don't, right? They know they have a problem and they know they need a solution to that problem, but they don't know what components of a particular solution may look like. And sometimes we imbue our components into that solution without first checking whether or not it's something that would be valuable. So your ability to ask good questions to your customer or to the counterparty in the case of a negotiation is, is a skill set that must be developed. And, and really, it's, it's a skill set that is built on a characteristic, which is curiosity. So your ability to be curious and to nurture your curiosity may be the single most important thing you can do to become a good marketer and a good negotiator. 
Yep. No, one of the things I was going to ask you, I have a note written down, which is, you know, a lot of, I mean, it's in Chris Voss's book and in general, like a lot of what customer research talks about is it's all about listening, right? Not just yes. not hearing, but actually actively listening and trying to understand the other. And that's the, and, and not just listening for what's being said, but what's not yes. being said, right? Because the customer may give you an answer, but you've got to now determine, did that answer satisfy the question? So did I actually get the information that I needed to make a decision based on the answer that I got? And if you didn't get enough information or quality enough information, your job is to keep asking different questions to get better quality information. And at some point, you're going to get there. But most people stop most people like because they're process oriented you know they've got like a checklist in their head where they say i ask a question they gave me an answer check move on to the next question no maybe you didn't get the right answer maybe you didn't get as good of an answer as you would like and and maybe the quality of the information isn't good like maybe one of your questions in marketing is how did COVID-19 affect your business or how is the current economy with uh, impending recession affecting your business at a 9.1% inflation rate? And they might say, well, you know, we're struggling. Well, what does that actually mean? If, if, you're, if you just take that at the surface level, it could mean anything. Does it mean they're mentally struggling? Does it mean they're financially struggling? Does it mean they've had to lay off employees? Does it mean their marketing isn't working and they need to find a way to work it, make it work in this market? Does it mean their A-B tests are generating different results and they don't know what that means? Like it could mean anything. And so our job is to not stop there, right? When we hear I'm struggling, what does that mean? I need to find out more information about what's actually going on because there are two things that could happen. There could be a risk that I'm not aware of, or there could be an opportunity that I could take advantage of. And unless I actually probe and find out what's actually going on in that person's head or in that person's business, I'm going to be continuing to make assumptions. For sure. And, you know, you mentioned also listening to what they are not saying. And I I, yes. I relate that to I have a design background and, you know, negative space is just as important as the positive space. And I think it's, uh, you know, yes. making good use of that and understanding, uh, again, what what they're not saying, like you mentioned, is oftentimes even more important than what they are saying. And it can lead you down that, yeah. like a totally different path than you thought you were going to go and make a completely different assumption. Um, can you think back, because nobody's perfect, uh, a time where maybe you didn't ask the right question and it made you make the wrong assumption and you com went completely astray and did the wrong thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've had several occasions where I've asked a question that was a leading question or I've asked a question where I didn't understand more information and it generated terrible results for me. I'll give you a negotiation example and a marketing example. So a negotiation example, I was once negotiating a service agreement at one of the organizations that I used to work for a long time ago, and I asked the question around quality of service. And I asked the question around, like, how do we improve the quality of service? And they said, well, you need to do these things. 
and we did those things. But what I didn't think about was the risk imposed on the business of doing those things um, or the extra effort that would be required to do those things or the cost of doing those things. And what we found was the cost of doing those things far exceeded the need for the qual increased quality of service that we were looking for, and it cost us a heap of money. That's a very dangerous situation to be in. We lost a lot of money on that. The opposite of that, or not the opposite, a similar kind of experience on the marketing side of things is where we ask a question of like, who is your target persona? And they say CFOs. And then we take that at face value. Well, CFOs for who? CFOs for Fortune 1000 CPG companies located in the northeast quadrant of the United States? Because those CFOs are different than many others, than CFOs for SaaS-based organizations that are Series A or B. And they make very different decisions. So when you say CFO, that could mean a bunch of different things. And when you took, take that at face value, you're going to make a whole bunch of assumptions that are completely wrong. So how the quality of your question determines a lot of different things. And by the way, your customer may not have gone through that depth of question before, and it's probably going to elicit a lot of thinking on their part, and it's going to be a lot of work, and they're going to be very resistant to it. So you're going to have to guide them through that process. There's a couple of things uh, you mentioned in terms of, I mean, I kind of relate this to, you know, trust but verify, you know, you, you talked about. Yes. You should be making assumptions, but you need to verify that those assumptions are accurate. And right now we've kind of been talking about, you know, doing customer research to verify that. What else are you doing outside of talking to stakeholders and customers to verify some of these assumptions? just sort of basic research that you can anyone can do on the internet right so where is the market who's making the decisions um, listening to podcasts like this going on to financial websites to be able to determine what the financials of a particular company are what they budget towards marketing on an ongoing basis what the churn rate is whether they can afford to do business with us all of those kinds of things need to be researched as well um, so just sort of basic, basic things that anyone can do. But so often we don't do it. We don't do it because we default to assumptions because assumptions are easier because there's less work. Um, the problem is, is that the result of less work at the beginning means significantly more work at the end. Yep. Yeah. And the other thing th that I'd maybe expound on too is like a lot of the times your customer thinks they know what they know, but they really yes. don't, right? So like your example of, well, it's CFOs, or even in my, they might get more, more explicit. It's like, well, it's CFOs in, you know, uh, med tech organizations in the Northeast. Okay, cool. Let's verify that by actually looking at your CRM and see who your best customers are. And what you might find is, well, yes. it's actually not med tech, yeah. it's manufacturing, or it is med tech, but they're in, you know, in the, uh, whatever, in the Raleigh-Durham triangle rather than the Northeast or whatever, like you might find something that is totally unexpected to them because their opinion has been biased by recency, for example, by, oh, our, our two latest biggest deals yeah, have or been. who they want their customer yeah. to be. Or who right? they like, want, exactly. Like, it, yeah, is this your target customer or is this who you want your target customer to be? And the, 
And that's a big difference. It could be a huge and difference. And then the question there is if it's who they want, the, you want the customer to be, and it's like, well, why do you want that to be your customer versus who is currently your customer? Right. Like, what's wrong with these people right. that you want to go this route? Like, the, that, uh, the, the business strategy is so critical to that research, right? So, yeah, we, we, we talked a bit about uh, mindsets. We talked a bit about skill sets. Um, tool sets, I think, might be a little fuzzy here, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Like, what, what tools do you use either to do the research or to, uh, you know, put together your uh, ICP or persona documents or, I don't know, even things like what books do you recommend that people read? You know, things like what are the tools that people should uh, leverage to get better at this? On the negotiation front, the negotiation is a, there's a spectrum of negotiation, right? So you could have everything that's super collaborative, like Harvard program on negotiation, everyone hold hands, sing kumbaya, win-win. And then on the other side of that spectrum, you've got the start with no um, competition style negotiation, sort of Jim Camp style. Both of those are fantastic. And then there's everything in between. Um, all of them have really good information, and I would highly recommend that no one um, adhere to a specific negotiation ideology, because many of these things in negotiation and even in marketing can become these, like almost like these weird pillars of belief, uh, like religion almost. Dogma. Where people yep. say, yeah, it's like, it's like a dogma. Exactly. It's like dogma where people are like, we don't deviate from this one method, which is crazy, right? Like you, you must be absorbing other information. Otherwise you're missing something. Um, and in much the same way as in marketing, right? Like I know that dark social, for example, is really, really popular on social right everyone's like talking about like you know how are you reaching your customers on dark social and like it's impossible to show attribution for dark social but it's so so important and it bec it's become like a religion and everyone's like no you should not have gated content on your website that's the worst thing in the world you can do and I'm like hey man it still claps right it's still it's still part of what you should be doing. The new thing that comes up that it helps you to reach more people, sure, absolutely, you should look at that. But that doesn't mean that the other stuff is no longer relevant. And so it, it's just strange to me that people throw out the baby with the bathwater as soon as they find the new hot thing, you know? And so I think all of the things that we do in both negotiation and marketing are still good. It's just another tool that you can use in your toolbox, whether it's, you know, classic technical SEO that still works, by the way, and still counts. Classic content marketing. Sending brochures to doors in a neighborhood. Direct mail marketing still works under the right circumstances. And I, I just think it's depending on the situation that you're going into will depend on what tool you decide to use. So I, for those of you that are listening here thinking, you know, I need to get on dark social. Well, maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you could also use something else that's been proven to work over and over and over again. Depending on the situation that you go into, if you approach every business negotiation as a hostage negotiator, it's not going to work every time. 
if you approach every hostage negotiation as a business negotiator, it definitely won't get work every time. So it, it really de- – you've got to utilize all of these tools for the right circumstance that you're going into. Yeah, but what you're bringing up I think is actually really, really important. I, I try to remind people of that as much as I can on LinkedIn specifically and just clients and whatnot, which is you know, you have to be careful about who you take advice from, not because they're trying to lead you astray or because their advice is bad. It's just their situation could be different, right? So the folks, you know, yes. And look, most of our clients, we talk about dark social and, and, you know, uh, lack of attribution and certain things and community and all that stuff. And it plays a lot. However, you know, when you're in a highly regulated, I'll say old school industry like energy and utilities or banking, that you talk to these, um, I'm not talking about financial services like SaaS, uh, you know, FinTech. I'm talking traditional banking. Uh, and I'm talking about the utilities or the, uh, you know, the oil and gas companies and things like that. Um, I mean, others like, you know, healthcare, even maybe not insurance, but others uh, in the health healthcare space. Like you talk, you look, you talk to them and, a lot of their leaders still, to this day, take a lot of influence and get a lot of their information from trade Yes, yeah, absolutely. They still do. And if you talk to people in the SaaS space, that's like, oh, that's blasphemy. It's like, well, yeah, you know what? The, the 60-year-old banking SaaS, exec doesn't give a shit. Them, right? Like, <laughs> exactly. No, it doesn't mean you shouldn't try right. look at doing these other things because, well, guess what? There's going to start being churn, and the 60-year-old executive is soon going to be the 40-year-old executive that wants to buy in this different way, and they're now the influencers and all this stuff. So, yes, layer it in, but don't forget about these other things, right? Or these more old-school, quote-unquote, tactics like, you know, direct mail. Well, guess what? Now you have a lot more data to funnel into your direct mail campaigns than you ever did before. So they could still work, and you can, you know... You can get really, really creative with them and make it work better than some of your other channels. You know, I mean, like, again, uh, and they play in spaces like retail energy, for example. I, uh, I was in a retail energy startup a while back. You know, we did, we did, guess what? We did both door to door and we did uh, direct mail. They worked insanely right. well. Right. No, this was, this was 2017, to be fair, but, uh, or 2016. Yes, whatever. But uh, still. Yeah, it, it depends on each situation that you're going into, and it depends on the market that you play in, and it depends on the geography that you play in, right? Like it's, yep. yeah, I, I would I would just urge people not to be dogmatic, right? Like don't don't get married to a particular idea, don't get married to a particular tool. There are parts of all of the things that we do that are still valid and are still important. Like, here's an example. Like, I think win-win negotiation is the biggest lie that's ever been told in the negotiation world. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I don't appreciate all of the things that went into that original idea. There's a lot of those things that are are really, really good, like trying to be collaborative and trying to understand the interests of the counterparty and taking time to formulate an alternative. And like, all of those things are still really, really good. I can still believe that the idea is misleading and appreciate the tools that are used to do that thing. And I think a lot of 
people get stuck on like well you know if one part of this doesn't work then we need to throw everything out be true there may be parts of it that are really really great and you can still use so let's uh maybe tie this all together in terms of all right i am listening and i'm buying the fact that negotiation has a lot of similarities in marketing i can use negotiation techniques to persuade and influence uh i need to know how to do customer research better great i'm, bu- I'm buying what you're selling can you give uh, me an example of where you've done these things well. Maybe describe them in a little bit more detail of what exactly you did and what the uh, output looked like. And let's talk about some results. Yeah. We applied it to our own business because we believe in it so much. So uh, if you look at the content call-out business and you look at the negotiations ninja business, both of those businesses are built on building authority and building credibility within the industry. Both of them have podcasts. Um, The experts in their field as guests on those podcasts, that is a great way to build piggyback authority. Like when you speak to an expert, you become the expert and it's how the market views you. And then also we utilize social proof extensively in both of those businesses. You know, has worked with some of the top organizations on the planet so has the content business and we tell people as much right so we build authority and credibility into everything we do we also show logical reasons why you should work with us right here's a case study here's uh on how to do these things we also tie into the emotional appeal of people so we say you will get more of this stuff and that will make you feel better when you do all of these things so we use a lot of the same principles across both of our businesses that seem totally different to each other but are very very similar in a lot of different ways i mean we built up negotiations ninja through the thought leadership marketing of that business and now we've done exactly the same thing with content callout so it's a lot of a lot of very very similar one of the things uh, slight tangent i suppose you mentioned you know thought leadership and podcasts and things like that and earlier in the conversation you know you talked about this sort of uh, uh dogmatic uh, presence of dark social and that it's hard to measure um I'm big into measurement, not attribution. Um, And I'd love to hear your thoughts on, okay, how do you, or how have you been measuring the success of these thought leadership activities? We'll call them, we'll just lump them all together in a thought leadership. I mean, classic way on podcasts is just to measure listens, right? Like, so measure listens in terms of volume but then also measure who is listening to those things and reaching it like it's laborious but reaching out to people on dm have you heard of this show and would you listen to it and would you give me some feedback and what did you think um that's been a big reason why both of those shows have done well um and that's painful if i could stop you right there just ask a clarifying question so are you do you have that as part of your uh, we'll call it your part of your like business development process where you're just reaching out to people. Like, hey, have you heard of the show? 
curious to know what you yeah. think about this episode or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. We we do direct like complete direct message on LinkedIn to say, "Hey, are you following our stuff? Do you know about this?" Is this Have to followers to or is this to cold uh, everyone? Okay. To everyone that is or an influencer of that target persona. So if I think that you are going to buy negotiation services like training services or you influence someone who may buy negotiation training services, I want you to listen to my show. Because at some point you are going to refer someone in your organization of power to say, holy shit, did you hear this episode that Mark did with XYZ person on this thing? It's amazing. And then more important more people listen to it, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing is true for the content business, right? Reaching out to content marketers and people who run content departments, VPs of contents and CMOs to say, have you, are you listening to the show? We spend a lot of time and a lot of effort building brand because we know that the life cycle of these businesses is going to be really, really long. And so we're very comfortable knowing that it's okay to invest in brand, knowing that we're going to collect on brand development much later. It, yes, it delivers results now, but the vast majority of the income that we're going to get from brand development is only going to happen in three to five years um, and potentially even longer than that conversation. So we're And we're in a unique position in that we don't have any outside investors looking for a so it's okay to invest in it because we know that it's going to deliver results. Like Coca-Cola doesn't immediately start building brand and then two months later – like that company was started in the early 1900s, right? Like it's – and people that say, well, it's their direct marketing nonsense. Please, let's cut the shit, all right? It's absolutely got to do with brand. So we're absolutely fine with investing in – all of those things if it means we're going to deliver results five years from now. Yeah, that, that long-term time horizon definitely makes a, a huge difference. We're in the same boat. Um, going back to what you were talking about, if we can get uh, into the weeds a bit on, sure. I don't know if you could share an example message that you would send to a cold uh, prospective customer the, the you you've never you've never interacted with them before how do you reach out to them and ask them hey do you have you heard of us do you listen to our show like what's your what's the message that there? is literally what i say i don't overcomplicate. okay so i reach out and i say hi whomever let's just say it's jenny hi jenny you may or may not know about the content call out podcast we interview guests like robert rose and Joe Polizzi and blah, blah, blah. So we build social proof into that first reach out. Um, if you're interested, we would love to have you as a listener. Here is a link that can help you to get there. Uh, let me know if you have any thoughts. And then we send a follow-up message a month later, not too soon, a month later to say, hey, did you listen to the episode that I sent you? What did you think? Was it interesting? And then we send a message a month later saying, thanks so much for the feedback, blah, 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 right? So it's very much about that sort of, here's the social proof, here's why you should listen. And then from there, we can start the conversation of like, what about that? Did you find interesting? Are you experiencing similar problems in your business? Oh, you're not? What are some of the problems that you, let's have a conversation. Why don't we schedule a Zoom call, blah, blah, blah. Right. And then we don't we try we and we have made the mistake of going for 
the sale right away. I think we've all made that mistake, right? But now we're very much long-term focused of like, okay, if you listen to the show, great. We've gotten in, we're having a conversation. Yep. Awesome. Well, uh, Mark, I think you've shared uh, a lot of great things um, in terms of mindset, skill sets, and tool sets. Um, is there anything else um, around negotiation, how it influences marketing that maybe we haven't touched on that you want to share with the listeners? Oh, there's a ton. There's a ton that we still need to talk about, but I don't want to take up too much of your time. Maybe we could do a round two. Sure. Let's, uh, let's give everybody a preview. What could round two look like? I think we can really get into the weeds on what are the actions you could take that drive persuasion? So what, what body language do you need to change? How do you need to change your words? How do you need to frame your questions? All of that, I think we could get into the weeds on. Awesome. And what about, uh, I mean, that, that sounds like that's more on the, we'll call it research and sales side of things. What about the marketing side of things? Same thing applies. How are you showing up to your customer? How are you changing your copy? All of that still applies. Okay. Let's do that. We can uh, we can schedule round two and dive in uh, dive into some details. Sounds great, man. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, uh, Mark. Where can actually before we do that? Totally forgot. Uh, we have a lightning round that we usually go through. Uh, so let's okay. do that quick. What is the metric that you use to measure marketing success? Sales. Yeah, am I getting sales? And if I'm getting sales, then I'll keep investing. But I also know that I'm not gonna get sales right away. So I've got to invest heavily in order to get those sales, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with a delay in sales if I can invest heavily in my marketing success. Um, but that's because we believe so strongly in brand. Uh, so it, yeah, sales is the ultimate metric of success. What is your least favorite business word or phrase? <laughs> what is my least favorite business word or phrase? Probably let's circle back. I really hate that. I don't think I said that in this, uh, in this conversation yet. Uh, and it's it's okay, right? And and win like let's create a win-win negotiation. I hate that. Um, it's so ambiguous. Who? I mean, we've you've named a whole bunch just throughout throughout this conversation, but um, maybe more specifically, um, who is uh, an influencer that you follow on LinkedIn? On the marketing side. I really, on the marketing side of things, I really love the consistency of Robert Rose um, for content marketing. Uh, so I follow a lot of his stuff. On the negotiation side of things, I tend to follow um, a guy by the name of Gary Nesner quite a bit um, and Jack Schaefer. Um, and then anyone that's sort of an academic on the persuasion and influence side, we, I, I do a lot of, but they don't, they're not on social media. I just read their yep. books or their papers. 
which brings me to my next thing. Favorite uh, business or marketing book? Um, favorite business marketing book? Anything that Joe Polizzi has written. And favorite business negotiation book is You Can Negotiate Anything by Herb Cohen. Very nice. Uh, and last question is, uh, what is something that people wouldn't be able to find out about you through your LinkedIn profile or your social presence? I like to lift heavy things and put them back down. <laughs> Very nice. I mean, powerlifting or what are we talking about? Just anything in the weights okay. area. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Mark, this has been a pleasure. Uh, we'll figure out a time for round two and dive into some of these details. Where can people find you if they want to reach out? Easiest place is LinkedIn, man. Just search my name, Mark Raffin, on LinkedIn, or look at my company's contentcallout.com or negotiations.ninja. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining us on another episode of The Master Marketer Show. We'll be back next week with more B2B marketing success stories. Visit our website, www.proofpoint.marketing, for the full episode library complete with show notes, guides, templates, and more. Make sure to follow Proofpoint Marketing on LinkedIn and YouTube so you never miss an episode. Listen every Wednesday wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time.